I ain't got time for Trump. I ain't, I ain't got time for the man. I mean, unless he's unless he wants to work a deal with me, he's not on my calendar. He's on your calendar because you get up and look at it every day so you can find something to complain about. It's not even interesting to me. Hi, my name's Kurt Mercadante, and I'm a husband, father, speaker, trainer, and disruptive entrepreneur whose mission is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. And that's what this show is about. We're here to help you fight apathy and conformity in your life. We're here to interview and tell the stories of individuals around the world who are helping others live lives of freedom and fulfillment as well. This is the Freedom Club Podcast, and we're grateful you're here. Well, welcome to the Freedom Club Podcast. I, of course, am your very grateful, your very thankful host, Kurt Mercadante. Thank you for being here today. And we have a treat for you Today, we have a very special guest, Anthony Yanarino. And yes, I am apparently biased toward fellow Italians. I think you're the third Italian in a row that I've interviewed on this show. But Anthony is a highly respected international speaker, best selling author, entrepreneur, and sales leader, your principal in a family owned staffing firm. He's got three incredible books. I urge you to check them out. They're all available on Amazon or his website. Eat Their Lunch winning customers away from your competitors, the lost art of closing, and the only sales guide you'll ever need. All excellent. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us today. You are a discriminating host. Yes. I mean, o- only lots of vowels in a certain region of the world. That's it for you, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I had, I had. Let's see. Yesterday, I interviewed Mark Guberti. He's a 20-year-old digital marketing phenom. I had Joe Peachy on. I'm trying to think in the past, fellow fellow paisans I've had on the show, but um, we'll have to get some some Irish on here soon just to even it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. And you read the books in reverse order from most frequent to uh, the past. And I liked it because the only sales guide you'll ever need was the last book, which is that would be better. But when it's your first book and then you have a three book deal and you have to write two more sales books... Yeah. You take a lot of heat from people when you're like, what about the only sales guide I was ever going to need? <laughs> <laughs> that was just a book title. Yeah, right. We're right. provocative trying to sell books. <laughs> what, you know, this is the Freedom Club podcast and we talk a lot about freedom in all its forms. You know, some folks want to escape a nine to five and become entrepreneurs. Some people have started their own business and are kind of stuck in a prison either time-wise, productivity-wise. They don't have the freedom they thought they were going to have. And a lot of folks... Um, um, what's keeping them back is a fear of sales. They don't know how to sell. Uh, they're not doing it. And I like to say, whether you believe it or not, or like it or not, every single one of us is in sales. I have four kids. I have to sell every single day, multiple times a day. So one question I'd like to start off asking is the word freedom. What does that mean to you? Everything. Um, my number one overriding value. I mean, uh, above all else. So uh, that is the number one driver for everything that I do from top to bottom, which is why I was thrilled to be invited on the podcast because uh, that is a subject we don't talk enough about. And um, there's, there's lots of ways to talk about it. I mean, there's, you could call it awakening. You can call it liberation. You can call it freedom. But the fact that you were given this, this life, I mean, not, not of your own um, volition. You, you were thrust upon the earth against your will. Like you, you might've been happier somewhere else, but here you are and nature decided you have to find a way to take care of yourself. You have to. So you were born with a certain amount of freedom. And with that certain amount of freedom comes a certain sense of responsibility. And I, 
I know now that you have four children and I want to make sure you understand how that keeps happening to you because <laughs> you, you might be engaged in a process where you end up with many more if you don't get control of the understanding of how this keeps happening. But it I does. Just, I just Google it and figured it out. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's how that's been happening. <laughs> now, you know, uh, so your freedom has been uh, declining over time because you have the responsibility for other people and uh, the the thing about freedom is it's sort of the Spider-Man thing. Like you you have great freedom, but with it, you have great responsibility. And there can't be a scarier or more empowering thought than that. Like you're you're completely free, but you don't know you're free because you have that job. And you don't know you're free because you have those responsibilities. And you don't know you're free because the world has been infecting you with this belief that you have to conform to what was here when you got here. And, and those beliefs, and the, this is the science of memetics, which if, you, if you're not aware of memetics, it's worth studying. It's how you get infected by the culture and by the things that your parents wanted of, from you and these things that stick to you. And they become your beliefs, even though they're not yours. You weren't born a Democrat or a Republican. You, you were infected with those ideas. You weren't born a Catholic. You might've been born Jewish, though. You could do that. Um, because th- th- that is a, a, a racial uh, category, but you weren't born Protestant. You know, you had these things imposed on you. You're supposed to go to college. You're supposed to get a good job. You're supposed to work for a good company. N- none of those things are necessarily true. And as soon as you sort of get uncluttered and you decide, wait a second, most of the beliefs I have aren't even mine. Right. So what is it that I believe? What is it that I want for me? And then you can start pursuing freedom. But you do have to also deal with the responsibility. And you brought me on here because of sales. But uh, selling is, is part of the responsibility for most of us who seek freedom. Yeah. And I, I love that you want that, right? I actually, I have my own shirts made fight conformity. Because I think two of the greatest threats to humanity are apathy and conformity. Mm-hmm. Thinking or, you know... I talked a lot recently with someone about uh, on someone else's podcast about the Socratic method and asking questions. And that's how we truly learn. And we got to talking about fake news and the whole fake news debate. And he said, well, don't you think people are starting to push back? I said that they're not pushing back in the way Socrates would want us to push back, which is actually questioning. What they're doing is they're saying that's fake, but here's my facts. And so they're fighting fake news with fake news. That's not really questioning it at all. Instead of really peeling the onion back, and you talk about responsibility, it's, there was a time, and I work with a lot of folks who have kids, and so they think, in their minds, responsibility is, I have to eat shit, I have to ignore my kids and ignore my wife, because I have to make a paycheck provider, or be a paycheck provider only. And you ask them, who are you? Like you said, uh, many of these things were thrust upon us, we didn't even choose them. Who are you? And I'm a VP of sales. It's like, well, are you a dad? Are you a, are you, you know, and rediscovering who we are as people, to be able to fight that conformity, that apathy, and build a life where maybe the responsibility that's in your head doesn't just apply to being a paycheck provider, but um, you know, we have four kids, we homeschool. So we've decided to build that freedom into our life and we travel the world with our kids. Um, and so, but it takes living intentionally, doesn't it? Oh yeah. And you know, that, that's probably the first thing when you talk about freedom with people, the question that I ask that they have a tough time answering is what do you want? Yeah. And then they, they, they struggle with that. Like, no, you have to know what you want. I know what other people want for you and from you, but what is it that you want? Because uh, I've uh, done the math on this. I've done a lot of research. 
so far on this planet, the estimate is there have been 108 billion people who have lived. 101.5 billion have died. So if you do the math on that and you divide 7.5 into 101.5, you find out that you have approximately a 94.7% chance of dying. Because <laughs> that's what the, the math shows us that. There's still 7.5, 7.7 billion of us here. So if you have a 95% chance of dying, and, uh, and I suspect that the number is right in that area, uh, <laughs> then, then you have to decide, like, what am I going to do with the time that I have here? And if you're uh, a man and you're in the United States, 4,160 weeks, and not for you, Kurt, uh, you're, you're past the halfway mark there. Yes, yes. As am I, which means like 1,600 more or something like that. And you start to realize this is it. You know, this is it. And the sooner you make that realization that this is it, this is my life, I have to decide what I want. And, and that's not being selfish. It's not being self-oriented. It's just saying, I have to decide what I'm doing with my time here. What's going to be meaningful and purposeful for me? And, and the meaning and purpose of your life is simply one thing, to figure out what you're willing to give yourself over to as the meaning and the purpose of your life. Nobody's coming to tell you that. There's not going to be some voice that comes out of the sky to tell you anything. You have to figure it out. And you can start by deciding, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want it to be? And then what do I want for these people that I brought in? What do I want for them? You know, how do I help set them up to decide what they want to do with their life? And I can just tell you, you know, I'm a kid who is, I'm a street kid. So I, I grew up in an apartment complex and started working when I was 13 and had a mom raising four kids by herself, no help. And I started working very early and uh, I decided to play rock and roll. And I, I, I fronted a hair metal band until I was 26 years old, uh, give or take. And uh, I had my mom's 100% support. And I decided at 21, I'm moving to LA to front a hair metal band. And she used to cut like uh, quotes out of Reader's Digest and send them to me when I was in LA. Like there was total support. But now, many, many years later, my son's going to college as a theater major. And she said, you should make him get a business degree. And I said, you're talking to somebody whose mom send him motivational quotes when he's running a hair metal band in Los Angeles. But how am I going to tell this kid with any, with any credibility at all that he shouldn't chase his dream? Chase it. Chase it. What is it that you want? He wants to take a run at it. Take a run at it. You can, it it's not hard to get a business degree. It's not hard to get a job. Th those are things that aren't hard to do. And they may be things that you need to do while you set yourself up for freedom. But, but you shouldn't decide that uh, I like your shirt. I mean, I, I don't think that you should decide that you have to conform to beliefs that were structured around a, a world that really doesn't exist anymore and isn't going yeah. to in the future. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of folks who get to 45 and they're like, well, I don't know what my purpose is because I bounced around like a pinball from objective to objective without that purpose because I'm living the life and have been for 25, 30 years that my parents major in finance. Well, why? Because my dad said so. And you get to 45 and you're like, what the hell am I doing? 40, 42 for me. 42. Got it. Got it. What, you know, in um, the only sales guide you'll ever need, there's a lot of, about mindset. You talk about gratitude in there. And I think it goes to the heart of 
cultivating an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset. And I, there's a lot of people in all of our lives, I call them scarcity pimps. Maybe they're, oh, maybe yeah. they're friends, maybe they're family who you go on a trip, you travel the world, oh, must be nice. They're also the people who bastardize the term gratitude. And they use the word gratitude as guilt and stagnation, right? Well, you should just be happy for what you have. You paid for that college degree. Why would you want to go do something else? And so I always urge people when they wake up in the morning, ask yourself, what's awesome about today? That's the gratitude. But then the second question is, what will make today even more awesome? So you, you pair a sense of forward-looking purpose. And you talk, you talk a lot about that in the book, um, the bulk and the biggest theme, I think, at least I took away, was mindset. Having that sense of gratitude, but a you talk about abundance and, and the fact that the world is actually getting better despite we think violence is on the increase, poverty is increasing, and the fact they've all radically fell over the last yeah. 50 years. I, I have a different view on gratitude, and I, it didn't make it into the book, but I have a very different view. So I'm, I'm grateful for things that you would not be grateful for. And, and so that this is the mindset shift. And I, uh, I, I practice uh, meditation and I study with two Zen masters. So I'm a, I'm a non-duality guy. But I, w- I will tell you, in the time that I've spent working on thinking about what gratitude really is, I'm grateful for all the bad things that happen to me. So I'm, I'm grateful for the things that are bad. And if you are really, truly grateful then you're going to look at things through a very, very different lens. I'm, I'm not talking about when you do the pretend grateful because when you have your gratitude journal and you sit down, you're like, my wife, my kids, my dog, you know, you go through that list. Like the eighth day of that, you're like, oh, am I really grateful or am I just going through the motions of pretending, right? But the, the, the truth of the matter is uh, my dad left when I was seven years old. I was very unhappy about that when I was 12 and 13 years old. And I recognize a lot of the things that I did were because I lacked, uh, like if your dad doesn't love you, then there's something wrong with you. So you have a significance challenge. And then if, if you're not significant, then what should you do? You should grow. You should, you should become something so that you could get that love that you didn't get when you were a kid. So, and I'm totally transparent and best thing that ever happened to me best thing that ever happened to me. It wasn't the best thing that ever happened to him. And I love him. We're friends. And I talk to him all the time, but uh, I was on my own and I would not be the person I was if I didn't have to figure out how to live in the adult world by myself when I was 13. My mom was busy raising kids and working from six till 10. I'm so grateful for that experience. And people, when I tell stories like this, I had my friend Jeb Blunt who said, my childhood was so much different and so much better than yours. And I'm like, don't kid yourself. Your childhood was nowhere near as good as mine. I'm a feral cat. Like I'm a, I'm, you know, you guys were indoor cats. You had parents at home. You had to be in. Like I was out. Like I was free. And, and that freedom wow. stuck. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I lost a piece of my brain. I, I have a, a scar on the side of my head from uh, losing a piece of my brain when I had an arterial venous malformation. Wow the fact that I got clarity uh, about my time on this planet and what relationships mean, there, there couldn't have been a greater outcome for me. I mean, there, there couldn't have been, it's not possible. And you hear things like that. You're like, that must've been terrible. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't because that's not the frame that I use to look at that. And mm-hmm. you, you have to decide that the gratitude is there's something in everything there's something in everything. Like you didn't like it right now, but later on, you know, how do you get immunized? 
how do you get immunized? If you don't want to get the measles, what do they do? They give you the measles. They give you the measles, <laughs> right. Okay, but now you're immunized. And, and so every experience like that, the, the world is nothing but abundance. I think that the uh, global economy right now is something like $282 trillion. Okay, that money is not distributed equally. I promise you that. It would be yeah. very nice if it was. We would have sure. zero things to talk about here today. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, is that there's abundance for deals. There's abundance for, of options. There's just more abundance than there's ever been in the history of the, the known universe. And uh, you can find your freedom. You start by being grateful and recognizing that. I love that. The, um, Stephen Colbert recently, he did an, in, uh, I think last week with uh, Anderson Cooper. And they talked about, you know, Stephen lost his father in a plane accident. Actually, he was living here in Charleston, South Carolina. I met his sister. She ran for Congress. And he talked about gratitude in terms of, you know, if you're going to be grateful for life and for living, you can't just be grateful for some of it. Right. So he had to learn to be grateful for the good as well as the bad. And, um, and, and so, uh, yeah, just, I just watched that and, and it, it, you know, there's a lot of videos on Twitter and I sat there and watched all five minutes of it because it was, um, and, and definitely common themes with what you're talking about. Um, and, and there are, it's so easy to, you know, you talk about in terms of sales and getting in that mindset, getting into gratitude mindset to get down and, whether it's, you know, people getting obsessed with every single thing President Trump says, or the people who got obsessed with every single thing President Obama said, to the point where they're almost paralyzed and debilitated. They can't go on. They're angry. They're upset. I recently had to just pull away from Facebook for business and just, uh, you know, I'm using third-party apps so I don't have to go on the page because it just, you know, I, and I'm a mindset guy, but, you know, I'm also a boxer. You take enough punches, you can take a punch, but you take 20 in a row and it's just like, well, that kind of sucks, right? And, and um, but again, the, the amount of good that's happening and, and, you know, yeah, there is inequality. There are some people who focus on inequality to the point where they don't do anything about it. And they don't realize that everyone is actually getting richer over the last 50 years. And me oh, yeah. hating the fact that you have a Mercedes and I don't doesn't make me any richer. You know, I could take away your Mercedes. Doesn't help. Um, so I, I, I love that you talk about that, and you also talk about outcomes and owning your outcomes. And that's another reason I love speaking to sales trainers and salespeople on this program because there, there really is kind of no A for effort. And you know, there's a lot of folks who, but I'm working so hard. I get in at five thirty, and I leave it, and I, I do a productivity accelerator, and someone on it said, well. I'm mad at myself because I'm just, I'm, I've been too lazy. And I said, well, I, I could actually make the case that a lazy person is more likely to be productive <laughs> than someone who's type A because they're going to find the shortest, simplest, straightest route to their outcomes. But a lot of people don't even, haven't even identified what those outcomes are. And so I love that you talk about outcomes in the book. Outcomes is, uh, you know, first off, my, my trouble that I have with other human beings just starts with outcomes. I mean, because they'll say something like, well, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, what's the outcome that you want? Well, I want to do this. No, that's what you want to do. What do you want to have happen because you do that? You know, and they don't think from the outcome backwards. But if you start with the outcome and you go backwards, it's just a far easier way to do this. And most people, again, haven't decided what they want. So they don't know the outcome. And they're, they're subject to what I call the drift. 
and uh, with a capital D because it's a it's a powerful force. Like if you don't decide what outcomes you want and you don't decide what freedom means for you and what that means, like I'm I work more hours than most people you know. That's my freedom though, because it's right. what I love to do. So I'm doing something that I'm just passionately in love with, which is great. But if you don't, what you can imagine is that you're uh, a piece of driftwood and you're on a river that's going faster than you can imagine in a direction that you don't want to go because you didn't decide what the outcome was. And when you have that outcome and you have a clarity of what do I want? Why do I want it? What's my strategy to get there? It's like having a giant motorboat on that river instead of being a a piece of driftwood and you can just turn around and go for the outcome that you want because you got clarity. But until then, every, I think it was Churchill who said like, you'll never get where you're going if you stop to throw rocks at every dog that barks. Like you, you, you don't need to look at it. I, I, in the first book, I write about a negativity fast, which, which I've done. And I did it. I was a political science major in college. And then I went to law school, which in a very political time. And uh, it was all politics all the time. And uh, I had a, a professor who said, you get all upset about this kind of stuff. And you, you argue. And, uh, and because I'm so freedom oriented, I'm a bleeding heart libertarian. So my candidate in the last election smoked pot and thought Aleppo was the guy that invented Pinocchio. Right. So yeah, Gary. We, we, we were not in a good, in a good place. But I, I don't vote and I'm not political. And I, I will leave this here for the people that listen to your podcast because it's worth them thinking about. Uh, I decided to do a negativity fast at about 38 years old. And I turned off all radio. I turned off all television. I got rid of every magazine and everything that I was reading. Uh, and I decided that I had been infected with beliefs that weren't my own. They weren't mine. They were things that were installed on me. So your brain is like a computer and people are installing programs in it. And also viruses. By Mal- the way. Malware, right? Malware, yeah. So you've got malware. You're infected with malware. You're infected with limiting beliefs that just aren't even remotely real but you accept them as, as limits that don't exist. And once you sort of break free of the matrix, it gets a lot better. At that time, I decided I'm going to go 30 days without consuming anything negative. And it meant I had to remove people from my life. Like I can't talk to them because all they're going to do is complain and they're just going to be negative or cynical or skeptical or something. And I decided instead, I'm only going to take in positivity so I, I bought basically everything that Les Brown ever recorded. <laughs> I just like, I'm just going to do, I'm going to load up on Les Brown and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Anthony Robbins and Stephen Covey and Earl Nightingale. I just said, I'm only going to take in things that are actually positive. So imagine going from a, a diet and I'll, I'll uh, describe it this way. We're back to poison again too. Um, your diet is a hundred percent poison. Because that's what it is. If you're on Facebook and if you're paying attention to everything political, uh, if you're paying attention to it, all you're doing is you're drinking a massive amount of poison every single day. And you're going, I wonder why I don't feel well all the time. wonder why I have a negative. All you're bringing in is negativity. Take in only positivity for 30 days. I did it for 30. At the end of 30, I thought, that was way too good. I'm going to do it again. (laughs) And I did 60 days. At the end of 60 days, I thought, I'm going to do this one more time. I'm going to do it one more time. I'm going to go for another 30 days. And I paid attention to nothing. And you know what? Nothing happened. The world was still 
the same mess as it is right now. It didn't even worry that I wasn't paying attention to it. It continued on its way, but my life got infinitely better. And after that point, I'm able to walk by a TV and, and not be triggered by anything because I have no power over that. And what I will tell you is the people that spend their time focused on Trump or Obama or the Chinese or whatever it is, like whatever their thing is that they pay attention to and they are going to go on Facebook and complain about, you're doing that because you're not taking responsibility and control of the one thing that you have the ability to control and influence and that's you. And so it's much easier to complain about all these things that are out there when the only thing and the only thing that you can do anything about is you. And as soon as you start to say, look, look, I ain't got time for Trump. I ain't, I ain't got time for the man. I mean, unless he's, unless he wants to work a deal with me <laughs> right. on my calendar. Like, so he's not on my calendar. He's on your calendar. Cause you get up and look at it every day. So you can find something to complain about. It's not even interesting to me. It's not interesting because I have better things to do with my time. I'm going to improve my life and I'm going to improve the lives of the people that I'm here to serve. And I can't, I don't have time to waste on things that I can't do anything about. Yeah. And a, you know, a lot of, especially with social media, a lot of people choose virtue signaling over actual right. action. Right. Um, I was in politics for 25 years. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and I became addicted to it and yeah. You know, I had an agency for 13 years, did very well. We did a lot of work in public policy and it uh, was infected and I had enough. I shut it down at peak revenue, said, I'm going to go help other people make the change, get off the, get out of the drift, you know, swim toward the shore. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, Tim Ferriss writes about the low information diet. Yeah. And we went on that. We, we don't allow cable news. We don't allow any news. The only thing I pick up is by osmosis is if I'm going on Twitter and I'm trying to weed out craziness on Twitter. But it's interesting. Um, I too am now a, I fought it for years because it was part of my job and I had to do a think a certain way, right? Or at least I thought I did. Uh, bleeding heart libertarian. I interviewed Bob Berg, the go-giver. Yeah, another one. He starts talking about libertarianism, uh, Ayn Rand. Uh, I interviewed Victor Antonio. Yeah. Starts talking about Ayn Rand. My favorite book I've ever read, and a lot of people are like, what? It's not Atlas Shrugged. It's actually The Fountainhead. It spoke to me a lot more than Atlas Shrugged. Well, that means you're a creative. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, it speaks to the creatives. The There's creatives. No about it. Yep. You know, I've scratched the surface now, you know, of, of is it a common theme? Is it, is it because, you know, all these folks, you included, are, are in sales, is it just the very capitalistic nature of we're going to trade value for value and that's what a free market is and we don't care about everything swirling around us? Is, is that where the common theme comes in on this? I, I was a libertarian from a very, very young age. So I didn't get to Atlas Shrugged or something like that until late into my 20s. I mean, I, I had seen it, but I, it, it just looked like a book that didn't look like a good book to read. It didn't look like it was going to be fun when I would see this black book. And it's not short either. It's definitely not short. <laughs> and, and if you want a criticism about uh, Ayn Rand, uh, that book could have been 400 pages shorter. <laughs> like the, yeah, it yeah. takes a long time to tell a story. Uh, and The Fountainhead for me was a better book too. Uh, yeah. By the way, I mean, you go a long way to get to the John Galt speech. You go a long way. And if you want to just jump and just read the John Galt speech, that works too. You can just read it and go, <laughs> yeah, I got it. That's it. <laughs> it was a long way to get you there. Um, I think some of us are just born or, or we, we have circumstances in our lives at an early age where we're just wired for freedom. And so those mm -hmm. kinds of ideas resonate with us automatically. 
And uh, I, I don't know that it's sales related. I do think that there is a certain business community that has read that work and understand that you need the freedom to do this thing. And the more you're constrained and the more that things end up being what we would now call crony capitalism, you know, where there's right. too much influence that's not the purity of the market because we don't have a market. We have right. a market that's got a lot of forces that isn't just the free exchange of uh, value between two parties, which selling really is the free exchange of value between two parties. You're under no obligation to buy from me and I'm under no obligation to sell you anything. So we're completely free. We either find a way that says it makes sense for us or we don't, or we part ways and we find some, something else, which makes perfect sense to me as the way things should work. Very pure, very pure. Yeah, It's not, but uh, I'm over the politics part of it. So I'm, I'm immune yeah. and, I sound like you and uh, you and I had a similar experience at some point. You're like, it's just not a good, it's just not a good use of your mind right. you know, to, to be consumed with it. Absolutely. And it's funny when I was in politics, people said, Oh, we just stop talking about politics. And now that I'm out, they can't believe I don't pay attention. It's like, I still know what's going on in the world because I'm at the treadmill and I see, I see the news on and I just have to laugh about something, you know? And, yeah. and um, I want to go back to the drift and people who are on that drift and, you know, it might be so far as, you know, Henry David Thoreau called it a life of quiet desperation. And some people call it, you know, uh, I call it a, a comfort zone of misery, which sounds worse than it is, but a, a comfort zone of, it could be a quiet comfort zone is actually sometimes worse than a loud comfort zone because it, it became loud enough for me that I had to make a change. The pain became so great and pounding that I had to make a change. And so that, that drift can kind of be, it can be more dangerous than a tidal wave because you're going, you're going, you're going. And you look up and you're 700 miles from where you thought you were. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. So in the middle of that drift in the lost art of closing, you break it down and, and offline, we were talking about the, uh, you, you might've named it the book, something else. And it's about, there are 10 commitments and along the sales process, there are various commitments that you obtain in order to close down the line. Speaking about the drift, and as someone who has coached and had to try to pull people out of the lake while they're drifting along, one of them is a commitment to change. And that to me is always the most, uh, for right or wrong, the most fascinating one because um, in their heart of hearts, they can know they have to change, but they're like, you know, it's like if you want to move and you're like, I really don't like my house, but oh my gosh, I really want that house, but I got to move. And then I got to fill out paperwork and I got to get a realtor and then we got to pack and then we got to, you know, all this stuff, that commitment to change. Um, can you talk to that when it comes to, well, you could be on a drift as a business owner, right? Oh, I have my consultants and it's going fine. Things could be better right? No matter what you have to sell in the middle of that, you have to get a commitment to change on something, whether it's their existing consultants, as you talk about and eat their lunch, or it's a life change. It's, um, it's a country song. I think that goes something like everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one precedes the other. And, and so you, you have to look at it that way is that like, if you want the better result, you, you have to give up uh, what you're doing now to do something different. That's true for everyone. And I would even say it because of the audience that I'm talking to here. And we're, we're not talking a lot about sales, but all this is about sales. So because, because right. it is, and if they don't know that at some point it will flash on, you'll go, wait a second. Okay. Right. But the, the, the truth of the matter is to become the person that you're supposed to become, 
you literally have to give up the person that you are right now, <laughs> which means transformational change. It's not just a, a little bit around the edges. You have to change. And that's the scariest thing for human beings to do is to say, I got to give up what I know and what I am right now. And then I got to step into the unknown. And I don't know what's going to happen there. I know the devil's here. I've been working with these devils for a long time. But the new devil might be a nastier, fouler devil than I could ever imagine. And it might be a mistake. And it's very hard for people to go through that. And when you think about the way that I laid out the law starter closing is just my view of how to help people change, which is what I've done for my whole life with mostly businesses, but also individuals. Uh, you start with the commitment for time and you have a commitment to say, let's just explore. Let's stay in a safe place. I'm not asking to buy anything. I'm not asking to change anything. Let's just explore what's possible. What, what, what might be the right thing to do? How do we get to the better future state? How do we define that? What's the vision for that? And people are very happy to do that one. And then you say, okay, Kurt, I got a great vision. I understand where you want to go. This is the change we need to make. And then you're like, oh, man, that's going to be hard. I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get there. But then you say, listen, we don't have to do it now, but let's just collaborate. Let's just collaborate on what are some of the things that you might do. People feel better when they're in that part of the conversation. And you may have to work on them for a little while to get them to go, yep, it's time for me to change. It may take time. It may take a lot of conversation. In the book, there's 10 commitments. The ninth one is when you ask for business. The 10th one is when you execute. But up until that point, there's things like reviewing. Do we have this right? And then let's make sure we resolve all your concerns so you can step safely into the future knowing when things go wrong, this is how we're going to handle them together. But when you think about that, that's just the way that human beings want to go through our process. Like I need some time. I need to do these things. I need to collaborate with you. I need to get consensus. The other people here have to agree. We have to review it and make sure it's right. And, and all those things, when you get that part done, things go a lot faster. You, you, when we talked offline, you said you, you, know, you might've named it something different. And, and a lot of people, they have closing and closers and coffees for closers and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and Alec Baldwin and some other celebrities that are out there today. And it's about running through walls. And it's about, you know, the experience you read about buying a car and blocking you from leaving. And you start off the book by saying no. And you talk about these 10 commitments along the way. Do you get folks who just, you talked about folks who, didn't want to read the book because they said, oh, it's closing. And then they read it and they're like, oh, that's much different than I thought. Do you get the other side? People who are like, no, no, no. It's just brute strength. And you, you, you write about some of the old school ways to close that just, and I love it. They just like, if you feel guilty or you feel worse about yourself using some of these lines, maybe there's something wrong with it. Kurt, do you love your wife? Yes. Do you love your children? Yes. If something were to happen to you, and God forbid that ever happens, but if something did, would you want them to be taken care of? Yes. Would you want them to have the life that you dreamed for them, even if you weren't here to provide it? Yes. I'm not going to leave here until you sign this contract because you and I both know that this is too important, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So that you don't feel good about me. And there's a reason that there's laws on the books right now that you have three days to rescind a contract because of that kind of a tactic. It actually became codified in law that you have a cooling off period because as soon as I leave the house with a signed contract, you're like, damn, 
I'm not, he's, I'm not doing that. Like he's, he manipulated me into that. Like, and you can't do that to people and it's not even necessary. And so no, the people who are looking for that don't find me. They, they don't find me. I'm not, I'm not the person they come to for that. There are people who, you know, who do work in selling that have a very different background than, than I have, you know, like car, car dealers, they have a very different view when they teach people about closing because their view is if they walk off the lot, I lose. And, and I'm so confident in my ability to control the process and teach other people how to have an adult conversation about how we get to change that you don't need any of those, those smarmy, you know, tie downs and tactics. The, um, something else you write about it and, and I learned this the hard way uh, it, with my businesses and I have clients who learn it the hard way as well and trying to get them to, to, to escape it. You talk about making yourself a trusted advisor versus a commodity. And I use the terms like vendor versus a partner, strategic partner. I think you use strategic partner as well. Did you have to, did you learn that the hard way yourself? And, and have you had some relationships whereby you found yourself being more of a vendor and just hated it or no, from the get go, you were like, I don't want to do this. And I, I was fortunate. Uh, I grew up in my family staffing business in some of the markets we were in there, are 220 other firms, just like ours. So you have to figure out how to differentiate. And, uh, and I figured out that I was smarter than most salespeople in my industry. So I ended up having a competitive advantage because they just weren't that smart. They didn't do the work and I'm a worker. So I, I like working. I read, I think, I write, I do these things. And uh, at one point, I had this wonderful slide deck. And I would show it to people all about the differentiation. And no one ever really asked me for a copy of the deck after I left. It wasn't interesting to them. It was interesting for me to tell them how we get to certain results that we get. And then at some point, I started to realize um, they need my help they need my help. They're not making good decisions. And it's because they're not making it in the right context. They're not looking at the information and making a decision. They're making a decision because they're trying to get something done. So they have an outcome in mind, but their strategy is wrong. And I started coming in and teaching people, let me explain to you the labor market that you're in. Let me explain to you how many people exactly are available for this. Let me show you exactly what the rates are and how you stack up. Let me show you your exit interview surveys versus exit interviews of surveys of people who have far better uh, turnover rates than you do. And I built this giant deck and uh, I started coming in and using it as a briefing and quarterly business reviews. So the very first time I used this deck, I don't know how many slides it was. It's a lot of slides because I had like Wall Street Journal articles and New York Times proving things like there's 3 million men in America in prison. I mean, and, and the, the number of men in the workforce is declining. And if you look at only a high school education, 95% of them, 96% would have been employed in 1950. And it's now down to 81%. So 14% are gone. You got 3 million in jail. You know, people don't take shop class. They don't work with their hands. It's a different world. And as soon as I was done with the presentation, one of the, the senior leaders said, can I have that deck? And I said, uh, what, what do you want to do with the deck? He said, I have to brief my executive leadership team tomorrow. And I said, yeah, I guess that'd be okay. 
And he said, would you mind taking your logo off of it when you send it to me? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, that was interesting. Uh, He wanted to present it as his own research, you know, and then I started realizing the more I could teach them how to think about making a good decision, the better decisions they were going to be able to make. And once I started showing them objective facts and experiences and other people's opinions, so some subjective versions of how well do people like your shift? You know, how, how well do people think uh, your pay rate holds up against other options? Then it started to become a really interesting time. And so I, I figured out that the trusted advisor equation, as you know from reading the books, is two parts. Trust, that part's easy for me. Advice, that part's hard. So you have to figure out how you're going to dispense with the advice and the counsel, which means you have to up your game and go out and do the work so that you actually are somebody who has the right to give that advice because you've done your homework. Three staffing companies all did very well. How did you go from building these staffing companies to being a keynote sales expert and author? I I was 42 years old. And I, I, for a number of years, I had people asking me to do things uh, that knew me. They, they'd ask me to do things. So I would mostly say no. And uh, I, my number one overriding value, again, is freedom. And I, I didn't have it. And I sat down with my wife on December 27th, 2009. And I said, uh, I'm going to make a change in what I do. And uh, it's going to be... a uh, it's going to be a big transformation for me. I'm going to get up first thing in the morning at five instead of at six thirty, And I'm going to write a blog post every single day. And I'm going to share everything that I know. And within a year, I'm going to be keynoting sales conferences. And uh, I said, I'm just going to change how our house operates. It's going to change a lot of what I do. And it'll mean travel and some other things. And she said, uh, I really have no idea what you're talking about. I love you. And I know that you're, you're going to do good. So th- that was it. And then 10 months later, I got the first call asking me to show up in keynote at an event. And uh, it, uh, the event was a year later. So the event actually made it. I was maybe, I, I said within a year, I missed it by something like 11 days. I mean, it was just <laughs> about a year. I didn't miss by very much at all. And it was just very, very intentional for me to make the shift to say, what am I here to do? And, you know, part of it is this conversation. So you've seen three sales books. I've got three more coming. And two of them are very broad books, like the conversation that we've been having. They're not sales books because I, I, I do have some other gears that uh, I can shift into that I think are equally important, especially right now where we are in the world and uh, in this time that we're in. Uh, what, what's being called post the post-truth world, right? So we're, <laughs> we're at a different time. And I think people need greater clarity on the conversation that we've just been having about intentions and massive action and deciding for yourself what the outcomes that you want are going to be and then deciding to take 100% responsibility for your own life. And, and what's interesting is 99% won't do it. Right. It's 100%. You have to own every single part of it with no excuses and decide... I've got to be what I want to be and what I'm going to be and why I'm here. And that's yours as soon as you decide to decide for yourself that this is what it is. And you did it. So you set yourself free, but it wasn't easy. Right. Right. Yeah. You, no, know, you had to walk away from something. Yeah. So the person that you were has to die to, for you to become the person that you are. That, that's the truth for all of us. 
Well, I can't re- wait to read the, those books and uh, we'll have you back on the show if you're willing and, uh, and up for it. And as you mentioned, you know, we spent the last, I don't know, 45 minutes or so talking about someone just joined in the middle. They wouldn't know we're talking about sales. <laughs> we talked about things broader than sales, but they absolutely had everything to do with sales and certainly freedom. So thank you for making that shift for all of us who learn from the blog, from your books, from everything you do. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to come back whenever y'all let me. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, we'll get some Irish in there in the middle so they don't think we're just, we're just an Italian only show. <laughs> I think you're going to have to even broaden it further. I mean, Italian and Irish together, you pick yeah. people with fiery personalities. <laughs> Maybe we put in, I don't know, like put a German in there. There you go. There you go. We'll find a more conformist uh, <laughs> disposition. Well, we had uh, JT McCormick. I don't know if you know JT. He had Scribe Media. He grew up in Dayton and his book starts, uh, I grew up the son of a black pimp drug dealing father and a white mother. So uh, we, are, we are diverse here on the Freedom Club podcast, but that's good. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. We'll hope to have you on again. Can't wait to read your next three books. Thank you. Can't wait to come back. <laughs>